victorious men and women of God. Let's stand yes. and come into his presence. We are going to praise the Lord this morning. Yeah. We praise you, Jesus.
lives. So we are going to continue in praising God this morning and lifting his name up. So the very last Psalm, Psalm 150, talks about all of the different ways to praise the Lord. So we're going to sing about just praising him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord. Quiet, my God is alive. So how could I keep it in? 
place we praise you when we feel it and we praise you when we don't we praise you because you are big enough to handle all of our questions all of our doubts we praise you because you are big enough to handle all of the trials God and you promise that you will be with us so we praise you God we praise you this morning and church um I love what this song says. I love that this is a song for every season. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When we're doubting, when we're hurting, praise is a weapon. When that song, I Raise a Hallelujah, first came out, I was on fire because I love that it talks about that our praise is a weapon. The enemy hates it when we are praising the Lord. So I love that we get to just declare his praise and that we get to just trust him in spite of what might be going on. And um, I know we've got some things going on in here this morning, and we prayed over some of those last week, um, and I know there's even more things going on this morning, perhaps, than were last week. Um, I am still having trouble seeing straight, still battling some vertigo, and so I love, as I'm singing this song, I, you know, I praise when I feel it, I praise when I don't, I, I mean, I don't feel right right now, but... I'm going to praise him anyway, because I know that he is good and I know he's faithful and it doesn't matter how I feel or what things look like. Um, I know I'm going to have an eternity to praise him in spite of what may happen the rest of this earthly life. And so he is so good. Um, Mila, we were talking about you last night and just God's goodness in you and changing what, what happened in your life. This girl that, I mean, oh my goodness gracious, could not speak, all sorts of things. And it's so, it's amazing. It's amazing what the Lord can do. And as we talk about just how testimonies of his faithfulness, of his goodness. This is why the Lord said to talk about all these things. He wants us to remember his faithfulness. He wants us to remember what his people have been through, what he's brought us through, so we can know his faithfulness and his goodness. And so in this time, as we prepare our hearts for giving, um, I just ask that you would follow as the Lord leads. Um, if you are a part of this house, that you would know this is a good this is good ground to sow into. This community is good ground to sow into. Um, this kingdom is good ground to sow into. And we do all of these things um, for the needs of this house. We've got kind of some crazy media needs right now, some needs in our kids' departments um, to upgrade our equipment um, over and above what we have uh, just kind of from the norm. So we just ask that you would prayerfully consider how the Lord is calling you to give. Um, we have needs 
needs in all of our different departments for being able to serve. So we ask that you would pray for the Lord, um, how he wants you to give. Um, and so, um, whether that is in person for these buckets during our last worship time, whether it's online or the cards in front of you, we've got all different ways to give. But I want to just pray over as we continue our worship um, just by giving back to the Lord. So, Lord, we do trust you. We trust you when it's hard. Um, and, Lord, I, I want to pray for everyone in this house, God, for all of their needs, Lord Jesus. I want to pray for um, their finances. I want to pray for their time. I want to pray for just everything that is going on in their lives, Jesus. I want to pray that, um, that you would meet them here exactly where they are, God, and that you would um, speak to them, Lord, for what you want for them this morning, God, that they would hear a fresh word from you, Jesus, that they would know your care and your love for them, that we can trust you as provider, even if it seems scary, even if it doesn't make sense, that we can trust you, God. So I pray that as people step out in faith to give this morning, that you would meet their needs, God, that you would encourage them, their faith, their hearts, God. And we just praise you, Lord. We praise you for what you have done, God. We praise you and we sing just hallelujah to you again and again and again, God. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I give you all of our praise, God. You are worthy of it all, Lord. Time enough 
God is worthy of our praise. No matter what the circumstances say. Um, The devil's been in the same business for thousands of years. Trying to convince us that things are different from what we believe. Especially where God's concerned. And we sang... I'll praise when I feel it, and I'll praise when I don't. I'll praise because I know you're still in control. And I'm just going to be real right now. Some people are going through stuff where it doesn't look like God's in control. That big circumstances about your health, big circumstances about a problem at school or a problem at work, big circumstances like you need a new job because you need a little more money or something like that. They're all big circumstances to us and they're all big circumstances to God too. He cares what's going on. And the more we get out of the way, the more it look, the more it will appear like he's in control. But we have faith no matter what's happening. When, when the devil tells us something that's not true, we need to speak to that. And no matter who the devil speaks to, whether he's speaking through your checkbook balance or whether he's speaking through your doctor, we need to call out, we need to talk to our mountain. That's what Jesus said. Speak to your mountain. Recognize that it's a mountain and speak to it. Don't deny it's a mountain. Because it's when there's a mountain, you can tell. Speak to that mountain. And Jesus said, it'll be moved like into the sea. Because I praise because I know he's still in control. And he's in control of our stuff that's going on. Let me just pray over that right now. Father, I just thank you that regardless of what the circumstances say, you're still in control as much as we give you control. Father, improve our faith by you being who you are and changing our circumstances so they line up with where our faith is. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all be seated. I am thankful that you're here this morning, and I've got a couple of things. One is next Sunday is our fifth Sunday, and we call that Super Sunday. We, we eat on those Sundays. Oh, I'm so surprised I didn't get an amen. Woo, um, yeah. We eat on those Sundays, and uh, that's always exciting for me, and we will have a little bit shorter service. So even though in the newsletter, which you get by email every week, It says that uh, it's right after church. It won't be right after church. We're going to meet at 1 o'clock at the Rusty Mallard. Um, If you don't know where the Rusty Mallard is, ask Dale and Sandy on the way out. It's what was formerly known as the Duck Lodge. But um, And if you you need help getting out there, ask me, all right? Um, That is immediately after. Not immediately after church. (laughs) One o'clock. Look, it says it right there. One o'clock. It doesn't tell us what to bring, though, does it? Oh, does it say it right there? It does say it right there. Lawn chairs, jacket or blanket. We'll see what happens, all right? 
It's going to be fun. Don't miss it. Um, if you've never been out there, it's a neat, neat place, and it's the wonderful place of fellowship. And we'll be there as long as you are. All right. We do have a video to give you a little taste of what we've experienced in the past. Should we oh, air that? Is that video? Should we air that? Yeah. Is it ready? Are we that? good? Can we watch that video? Let's do the video. That's better than me any day. Cool. Video. I would like to say thank you to the church as a group for, um, and each of you as individuals. We were blessed with some gifts last week, Pam and I, um, for Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, we're thankful. Um, God blessed us with being able to take care of a couple of things because of that. So we're thankful for you for being the hands and feet of Jesus in that. Um, I also want to say that uh, I'm Steve. I'm campus pastor of Victory Life Church Chandler. We're a, a church that is a part of a family of churches that is based in Durant, Oklahoma, and we have campuses in Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado, and we're just one of those, and we have different ways that we receive teaching from the Lord. One is for, from local speakers, and I'm one of those. I, I'll be speaking next Sunday. We'll have a slightly more brief service uh, than usual next Sunday. It will be a family church Sunday. So kids will be in the service. We're, we're going to change the seating up just a little bit and some other things. But I'll be speaking next week. But this weekend, we have the privilege of hearing from our senior pastor, who is much less senior than me, if you know what I mean. He's in his 30s still. Oh, did he just turn 40? He's still in his 30s. Okay, so he's in his late Thursday, 30s, and he's grown up in the church. He's in his late Thursdays. He's grown up in the church. He is... Um, he is the son of the founder, and he's been a friend of mine for a long time. He's been a pastor to me for quite a few years because we just knew each other because of our son Logan and his association with, with Jacob. And so you're going to hear from Jacob Sheriff this morning, who is now our senior pastor, and he has a good word about being the light of the world. So let's welcome him as he comes. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, just a few verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to take the next few weeks and I'm going to talk about uh, who God's called us to be and part of our identity in, as followers of Jesus and what he proclaims over his church and God's vision for his church. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus loves his church. He calls, he calls the church his bride, and he's madly in love with his bride. Um, and we, the church, we, his bride, I want to live out his vision for us. I want to live fully in the vision he has for us. And uh, to do that, I'm going to focus in on this one concept uh, for the next few weeks on light and what it means to be the light and shine the light 
and how God elevates how we shine his light. Matthew chapter 5 is one of those places where Jesus pronounces an identity over his followers. Matthew 5 verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's so many things in here that we'll, we'll hit and circle around. Um, but I want, I want to live out everything Jesus proclaims over me. And I want the same for us. Uh, that I want all of us to live out everything Jesus has proclaimed over us. And he says, you are the light of the world. You are the city set on a hill. You are a lamp elevated. Let your light shine. So there's some choice we make on how we let light shine. And it's possible, I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, history you have in church or what kind of uh, teaching you grew up under. But sometimes we can think that Light or shining the light is about how we talk about Jesus. Uh, and that's definitely partly the case. Um, how we share Jesus, who we talk to. But, but I, I, some people have a natural gifting, a God-given gift for evangelism. They have a just, it's, it's a gift in them and it just pours out over them. Uh, and you look at someone who has that kind of gifting and you think, that is incredible. I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Uh, and so you can hear statements like this where Jesus talks about being the light of the world and think that he's only talking about that. There's certain people who are just really good at sharing Jesus, talking about Jesus, and the rest of us just sort of point people to them. You know, that's not what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, what, he doesn't say hardly anything about what you say. What, the light that shines is how we live. And all of us who follow Jesus are called into a certain kind of life. And that life shines as a light to the world. And we choose how it shines. Jesus is, he, the work he does in us, it isn't just for us. He does a work in us for others, for the sake of the world. And light is one of the metaphors he uses on that, that life that is to shine. It's a light to the world. And he says, so let it shine that people will see your good works. And when they see your good works, they give glory to your father who, in, who is in heaven. There's in kind of over the last you know, few decades, there's a general cultural sense where uh, religion is to be private. You can have your religion, but that's your private business. Don't bring it out into the public. Uh, you're just supposed to, whatever, whatever your religion is, it doesn't matter what it is, I don't care what it is, uh, that's not something for society, that's not something for culture, it's not something for the world, that's, that's between you and your God. And Christianity... Uh, and a lot of how 
uh, the Christians ad- adopted and adapted into that world bought into that. That it's just a personal relationship with the Lord. And I just keep it personal. My personal relationship with the Lord. And though, yes, you have a personal relationship with the Lord, there's nothing in our New Testament that says that that is privatized. It is very personal, but it's also very public. It's not for public show to draw attention to yourself, but it is to be public. It is to be shared. And it doesn't matter what laws say you can't do that. Jesus is Lord, not city codes and civil laws or Washington. We're, we're to let the light shine. But I think it's important that we know what that is and what it means because we've also seen people who call themselves Christians and are very public about it. And we go, <sighs> and we tell our lost friends that they don't represent all of us. Okay. So they're taking, like, they're taking seriously going public, but like, I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. You're a jerk. You're self-righteous. You're angry and belligerent. And like, you're like standing up for Jesus in the most non-Jesus way. You know, that we have, a, Christians have a long history of that. Like, just, just do your church history research and you'll see that we have a very littered past of trying to be vessels of Jesus, but end up being very non-Christ-like in our witness. So we, we need to get some understanding about what it means to shine the light. Now, light is, it's a very common religious, light and life, very common religious symbols. I mean, scripture, it's no different. It's, it's very important. As a matter of fact, like page one of the Bible uh, draws this out in a, in, and it begins in a natural way that, that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the first entrance of God's creativity is one of light. And God said, let there be light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And so this literal sense, light and dark, what it is is that humans are not designed to flourish in the dark. Okay? And, and our, our modern technology and, and artificial light, we, we, we have forgotten that. Um, but you... Uh, you go out into the dark and you recognize you were not designed to be there. Okay. Uh, uh, last month, uh, I took my annual hiking trip and uh, we went nearly 60 miles in, uh, in Colorado. And uh, in one of the days, we, I probably should have had pictures of this, but we basically were in the vicinity of a forest fire. And uh, we needed to hustle. <laughs> uh, and in one day, uh, we, we went 24 miles uh, and over like three or four times over 12,000 feet. Well, we're, we're needing to beat this wildfire. And we recognize to get far enough, we're going to have to hike in the dark. 
and not only that, we're going to have to climb a mountain and get down from that mountain in the dark as well. Because there's no place to camp that's safe until we hit this certain place. And this certain place is another, you know, four, five miles away. And it's the sun setting. And so we prepare ourselves. We're hustling, going as fast as we can. Uh, one, a couple of the, the people in our group uh, were very exhausted. And when you're exhausted hiking, you tend, like, everything goes into just, like, your automate, automated systems. And so, like, when you're walking, there's a tendency to not, like, nothing else exists, and you just sort of drag your feet. Well, in the dark, climbing a mountain, you kind of need to stay alert. So, so we were having to pay very close attention. We lost the trail a couple times. Thankfully, someone in our, our group had the most updated technology and could say, hey, we, we left it about 25 feet ago. Okay, we'll go back. So we climbed this mountain in the dark with ash kind of seeing in our headlamp. Uh, and at the top of the mountain, side note, this is a side note, at the top of the mountain, we're like, we may never get this opportunity again. So we shut off all of our uh, headlamps and we looked up. I've never seen so many stars because there's not a city for tens of miles away. So no light pollution. Uh, and you just like, you can, you can see what the ancients looked up and like, we're in awe. Like we look up and we're in a small towns mostly. And so we can still see some stars uh, and maybe even some constellations, but like there were so many stars. I couldn't really tell you hardly any constellations because I'm so unfamiliar with that. Um, but anyway, so, so dark pitch black and we start going down and uh, down is more dangerous than up case you don't know that. Uh, up is hard. Down is dangerous. All right. So we're going down and we're trying to see, is there any place to stop? Um, and uh, we're, we're looking for a, uh, a campsite and someone in our party has their light. And we're, this is the first flat area we've seen below 11,000 feet in like 15 miles, 10, 15 miles. Okay. So like we're tired, it's late, we've already climbed a couple mountains and we're just ready to just get our tent set up and go to sleep. So he's looking and he says, I think this is a, this is a safe place. And right as he says that sentence and looks up, he says, except for those eyes over there. <laughs> and there were these two circular eyes, which if they're on the front, they're a predator. If they're on the side, they're a prey. So like big round. And so we stopped for a second and we're like, okay, we, we came in downwind of this. So like it, we're surprising it. Let's just see if we can surprise it away. And we make all this noise and all this stuff doesn't flinch. <laughs> just stares right at us. So we're like, all right, so we were tired. Now adrenaline's running. We're like, we're just going to keep going. It follows us for a little bit. And so we're like, we all of a sudden break out into a musical. <laughs> Why? Because you need to make lots of noise. All right. Thankfully, no one could hear it. So that's just between us how bad that was. But in the process, my headlamp goes out. <laughs> so we're all in line walking and, and like, like, and my power bank, this is, side note, this is why gear check and you, you run full tests on your gear 
my power bank that was for recharging all of everything, all my technology had also died that day. So I didn't get to recharge my headlamp and I'm like, we're fine. Like I'll use it for just like, I use it for like 10 minutes in the dark <laughs> until we're hiking in the dark. Uh, and like, that's my moment where I'm like, I was not made to live in the dark. Uh, just to finish that story, we, we go another couple miles, see another couple sets of eyes just watching us uh, until we finally were like, you know what? We're going to die of exhaust, exhaustion or, or mountain lions. So let's just pick a place. And we finally set up tent and we were fine. All right. It was dangerous and many other life-threatening stories, but we made it out alive. Everybody's fine. All right. That's like, that's a very clear indication for me. Like I was not made for the dark. Because what was happening is what I could do is I could turn it on and it would go for five seconds and then turn off. And I could turn on for five seconds and then go off. Turn on five seconds. So like what you think you're fine, you got light and then that light goes out. I can't see anything. Uh, so okay, so point of that whole story. Humans were not designed for the dark, all right? All right, so natural light and dark. Humans are designed for the light. Well, that same kind of uh, dichotomy, that setup of light and dark became a metaphor for something much larger than just natural light and natural dark. It became a way of talking in scripture about good and evil, about chaos in the dark and order in the light. That's the whole process of Genesis 1 is going into the chaos, the disorder and bringing order. It became a way of talking about life and death, death being in the darkness and light having life, life being in the light. So it, it, it also became metaphor for uh, a, a sense of like hopelessness or a sense of being in the battle is like being in the dark. But when you see a potential salvation, it's like light or you get a sense of hope. When you feel hopeless, you feel in the dark. But when you get a sense of hope, it's like a light shining. And that, that's the way that, that metaphor works. Well, the way scripture plays that out, uh, humans were given authority over the earth, uh, but we choose, we choose evil, and our choice of evil wreaks havoc and chaos and disorder, and a metaphor for the havoc we've wreaked on the world was darkness, and, and our inability to maintain light, and our lives are spent in the dark. And God was not without a plan, and he worked through the long history. This isn't an Old Testament study, but I have, in your notes, I have uh, a few extra Old Testament references about light that you can see the different ways it's used. But just, just a quick sample uh, of some of those would be like Psalm 27. Psalm 27, uh, you have David, and the way he prays is he begins with the Lord, or Yahweh, God's personal name. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So light and salvation, he attributes to the Lord being that. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So he's in a sense of being tempted with fear, and he's saying the Lord is my light in the midst of that fear. Then verse 2, he says, when evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So, so when enemies are coming against him and he's feeling afraid, it's like being in the dark. But my hope in this situation is that it's the Lord who is my light. It is the Lord who will save me and it is the Lord who is my protection. So you see how light is used in that. 
Then there's also a way of talking about God's instructions or God's guidance, his wisdom, his understanding, and his laws also being light. Most common, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word, the word of the Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And so my, the way to live is dark around me. I don't know how to, I can't navigate life because it's in the dark. I don't know how to do that. But your word, your instruction, it shines light that guides my path. Proverbs chapter six is another one in the midst of uh, the, 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 the father instructing the son on all these sorts of dangers, on all these things that you're to, to avoid, all these people that you're to avoid. The one thing he says in verse 23 He says, for the commandment, his commandment, God's commandment, is a lamp and the teaching is a light. To avoid all these things, you're going to need commandments to show you the boundaries to know which way to go. That's like a light. It's a lamp. And the teaching, the way we understand God's instructions, is a light. And it also is a way of receiving discipline. That's the way of life. So you see a connection of life and light. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens more in the Old Testament. But that's just a way of seeing how God still has a lamp, has a light for his people. But ultimately, we were in the dark. And we needed more than just instruction. We needed a savior. And this is where John, you can go to the Gospel of John. We'll be there. I'll hit a number of references there. John chapter 1 uh, John, had, hopefully we'll look at a few more for the next few, couple weeks, just the way John is very specific, extremely poetic, and uses artistically his words on explaining how God is light and God is love and God is life and how all of that gets manifested in Jesus. And he has a way of weaving all of these things together very creatively, light and life. Uh, and here at the beginning, he recounts creation in light of Jesus. And so John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and there wasn't anything made or without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse four, in him was life. So the life that generated the entire universe. So by, by creating the universe, that's life. In him, the word, was life. And that life was the light of men. So it was his life that shined the ultimate light. God's light was revealed, how? Through the life of the word. The word made flesh. And then it says there's more than just this philosophical condition of light and life, good and evil, Those aren't just philosophical categories. Talking about things in the context of good or evil, we can can say that certain actions are good or evil or certain states of being are good or evil. But the scriptures say there's more. Yes, that is categories of talking about things, but there's more. There are spiritual forces of darkness, spiritual forces of evil, and there are spiritual forces of good. And spiritual forces of light. And so John here is saying in him, the one who created all things was life. And that light, that life was a light to men. In verse five, 
and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So it isn't just conditions of light and life or good and evil or death and darkness. There are forces at work inside darkness, inside evil. It's not just evil actions. There are forces of evil at work trying to extend evil, trying to extend darkness. But there are forces of light and life. And the life that brings light is stronger than the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Darkness is inferior to light. When you're in the midst of darkness, it doesn't feel that way. That's personal experience. It doesn't feel that way. It, 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 like in a moment, it can be terrifying. You can go from total chill to terrified in an instant. Darkness. But the way to dispel darkness is not to curse the darkness. It's not to get angry at the darkness. It's to shine the light. And, and what John is establishing is there is only one ultimate light. And that's Jesus. Verse 9 He says the true light, so there's other things that have tried to make themselves look like light, but there is one true light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was not just on the other side of the universe or outside the universe, but was coming into the world. So the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet... The world did not know him. So light comes into the world in a life and all of darkness and evil and all the world that was made through him did not recognize him, did not know him. Then he came to his own, his own people, and his own people did not receive him, did not receive the life and light that he came to bring. But to all who did receive him, this is one of those just John poetic words that's just is so beautiful. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he has given the right or the power to become children of God. So who did receive the light and believe in his name, he's given the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who did receive the light become children of light, become children of God have a new identity in them. And it comes by receiving his life, receiving his light, and believing in his name. Believing that he, his life is the light. And now John is going to like, okay, he's established this theology, he's established this philosophy, he's given you this indication, the very next verse, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, we've seen his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he's going to take the rest of his gospel and pull out all of these different themes of light and life, of receiving him or rejecting him, of believing in him or not believing in him. The most famous would be a couple chapters later, John chapter 3. This is one of those that, you know, even non-religious people who did not grow up in church probably can at least quote some of this because it's the most famous. Uh, And I think it's most famous for a reason, and I'd hate for us to have heard it so much that it still doesn't strike us as beautiful. But John 3.16, but you need to see the larger context John 3.16 sits in. John 3.16 is the most famous. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that whoever believes in him. So if you connect that to what he says in John 1, we receive his life and believe in his name and therefore receive his light. He's saying that those who believe in him would not perish. Perish, death, darkness, would not perish, but have eternal life. And that is a quality of life that does extend into eternity. It's not primarily talking about chronology. Just you'll live forever. No, no, no. It's a quality of life. It's, a, it's the life of heaven that we can taste, see, know, and live on earth as it is in heaven. And it will continue into resurrection and eternity. And then verse 17, this is also important for those who are adamant that God is angry. (laughs) For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world is condemned already. Not condemned by God, condemned ourselves. We chose darkness. So God did not come, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. He wants to salvage the world. He wants to salvage those in the world. And then verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's not that God's condemning, it's that we've chosen that. We've chosen condemnation. And that condemn doesn't mean like to make feel bad. Uh, It means to make, to pass a judgment on. To make a legal decision is what it's talking about. To evaluate or hold a view. So those who believe in him are not condemned. Those who do not believe in him, they're condemned already. He's trying to get them out of the condemnation. But we chose that because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And look at verse 19. And this is the judgment. Again, judgment it means a legal decision. It means those who have the authority to judge. It's a verdict. It's not judgment like hellfire brimstone judgment. It's to make a verdict. Well, what's the verdict? He says, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I'll connect that to Matthew 5 and works down the road a little bit. What you need to see here is how this gets set up. This gets set up by saying... There is light, and with light is life and good, and there is darkness, and with darkness is evil and death, and mankind chose darkness and lives in a state of darkness, and with that darkness, there is a verdict on darkness, death. Like, it's going to end. That's a verdict. It's already a verdict, and the world is in that condemnation is inside that verdict and God sent his son as the light into the darkness 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But it isn't to say everybody in the darkness appreciated it. Because some people, not all people, some people aren't just guilty of committing evil. We're all guilty of committing some form of evil. All of us, all of us stand condemned in that way. We're guilty of, of having committed evil. But not everybody has willfully chosen evil and is committed to it. There's plenty of them out there. And it just, it would be easy to start trying to point out, oh yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely, that's for God to make that judgment, okay? You're not to make that kind of judgment. You are not the judge, all right? Jesus is the final judge. Let him be the one to do that. But there are people who've committed themselves to evil and they don't like it when light shines and want to overtake the light. They killed Jesus, So when he says, you're the light of the world, let your light shine, it might not all be sunshine and roses. It might not be, oh, you're the kind of life we've been looking for. You give us such hope and joy and peace. No, it might look like hatred. But we can't return the darkness, hatred back. We have to follow the light. And this is where Jesus makes a statement about himself in John chapter 8 when he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so piece, piece this together just to set this framework. There's light and darkness, there's good, evil, there's life, and there's death. And Jesus is the light. And his light is shined through a life. Okay, this isn't just like some philosophy. It's through a life, okay? And his life shines that light and what it does is it exposes those who've been in the dark and love the dark and want to maintain the dark. But those who don't want to be in the dark can see the light and come to the light. And he says, that's me. I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me. So there's a couple layers here. John 1, he says, to all who received him, and believed in his name. John 3, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes has the light, comes to the light. But those who receive and believe now must live. So John three twenty one back there, he says that their works are done in God. Whoever does what is true. So the, the, what we receive of Jesus and believe of Jesus now must transform how we live in Jesus. So in John 8, he says, those who follow me will not walk in darkness. 
but will have the light of life. He has in clear view, Psalm 119, 105, your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. What the psalmist in Psalm 119 was talking about was God's instruction through the law. But Jesus is the embodiment of the light and he, his life, becomes a light and a lamp in our lives so that the way we navigate life in the midst of a dark world is through Jesus. That's why discipleship matters, not just having faith in Jesus. We got to have that. But now surrender to Jesus, a following of Jesus, so that whatever you find yourself doing in life, whatever career or vocation you're in, whatever state you're in, whatever neighborhood you're in, city you're in, whatever, whatever state of life you find yourself in, Jesus' life has light for you in that situation. And that's what discipleship is is learning how to navigate life as Jesus would, the light of the world, if he were, ri- were right here in my life, because he is in you. So we receive what he's done for us. We like that part, the forgiveness of sins. Who doesn't like that? We receive what he's done. We believe in him, but we also surrender to him so that the entirety of our lives becomes a manifestation of his life, his light, that shines through us, therefore making you the light of the world. So how do, you rec- how do you reconcile that? Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Well, you and I on our own are pretty pitiful. We've chosen darkness. Like, that's what we do on our own. So the way in which we are the light of the world is his life transforms our life. And our life becomes a witness of his life. And no one is too old for that. No one is too young for that. All of us are on a journey. And you're not done with that journey. Now, the day you take your last breath, we'll let you be done at that point. But then there's eternal life. And there's probably maybe a few things I can share from that uh, about even how that extends into resurrection life, into new creation. Let me give you four things that I think will be most important in how Jesus's life transforms our life so that we become the light of the world. Uh, And then I'll end with Matthew 5 and show two things that I believe that just speaking over you. Um, There's, I think there's, there's many more ways Jesus's life transforms our life and shines the light through us. But I think that there are four essential things that are, are needed right now. Some of them May, will make total sense to you and be easy. And we, I probably could brush through them in less than 15 minutes for a church like ours. There's one or two that might be, we're going to have to park for just a, a bit, okay? Um, our lives being transformed should look like what that shines the light? One, it should be a life that's marked by love. And there's many, many, many ways G- this is made clear, especially through John's writings, a life marked by love. John 13, he says, this is how all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. In 1 John chapter four, talks about God being love and our love for God is because we respond to his love for us. So our lives should be marked by love for God. And then that love is to work its way out into love for people. John calls us a liar if we try to separate those. So it should be marked by love. 
we should love. That love will look like generosity. It'll look like sacrificial service. It'll look like Jesus' style of love, not cultural standards of love. So uh, showing Jesus' love will be a way we shine the light. And that one's not super offensive or hard. Which is why I'll jump into the second one is a life transformed by Jesus should also be a life pursuing holiness. There's just no way around this. I wish I could avoid it, but I can't. A life pursuing holiness. There's only one adjective that's used to describe the church in the context of what Jesus is coming back for. Do you know this? There's many things that describe the church, okay? But, in, but when it's referencing the church, Jesus is coming back for his bride, there's only one adjective it's used, holy. Yeah, that's what I thought. And it's not popular to talk about this. And the, one, the people who love talking about this are usually are people that shouldn't be talking about this because they're not talking about it in a biblical kind of way. Okay? And that's why first is love because a life mar- that's pursuing holiness doesn't then counteract a life marked by love. Okay? The third thing, a life that is shaped by wisdom. Wisdom actually has this profound witnessing effect. And I believe this is a time for God's wisdom, the mind of Christ, to be manifested in his people. And then, a life filled with power. And I'm saving that for last because that's the one we want to latch on to. We got to get the other three too, okay? But Jesus said in John chapter 10, you don't have to believe me unless I'm doing the works of my Father. And in the context, the works he's talking about is healing. Power. Power in our lives. A powerless life is not shining much of the light. And you and I need to walk in power. And that's not something for people with 501c3 certifications. It's all, you, you're filled with the spirit. You have the anointed one on the inside of you. You're anointed. And you can walk in power. The limitation to God's power in your life is not condition. It's not circumstance. It's you. The reason why you're not walking in power is not God's fault. We'll put it that way, all right? And this is how the life of Jesus shines the light and then how that transforms our life, our light shines so that it, there's, no count, uh, there's, there's no contradiction in Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world and him also saying, you are the light of the world. And it's because his life has transformed our life in such a way that what we do people see and give glory to our Father in heaven. And this is what he's saying in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. I don't know how much, how much time I'll have to try to draw this out, but he uses two metaphors. You're the light of the world. Well, that's the third, but the first, the, the grounding metaphor, then the, the first metaphor, a city set on a hill. First metaphor. Second one, verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. So a city and a lamp. We are the city. 
you are the lamp. God wants to elevate us and he wants to elevate you. He wants to elevate us, his city, the city marked by his life, us together. That's the church. And I'm not just talking about our church. He wants to, he wants to elevate the church, the bride of Christ. But he also wants to elevate you. He wants you, a lamp, to be put on a stand so that everybody can see clearly. And so that's when he says, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine. You will let your light shine. We let our light shine. You letting your light shine. Many will see your good work. So it's a life, not just a belief. It's a life. It's something we do. Love, holiness, wisdom, and power. They'll see your good works, but they'll give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And this is what I believe is that God's, God's going to be elevating his church. I want to be in on that. The capital C church. And that will mean some churches. And I want to be in on that. If God's given us regional authority to shine his light, we need to know what that means and what it me- and how to do it. And it is sacrificial. It is not going to be easy. But I believe God wants to elevate you wherever you're at. You're a lamp. You might think you're at the bottom of the totem pole in society. You let Jesus' life shine through your life, he'll elevate you. And I think that there are places and positions of influence and authority in our society, in our culture, that God would love to call you into. But we need to be ready to steward his life and light when that time comes. Because I don't think he, I mean, God, God's sovereign, he does, what he, he does what he wants. But I think that there's some promotion in our lives that we're not experiencing because if he promoted us now, we wouldn't be ready to shine the light. It would either get to our heads and we would think it's all about us or the weight of responsibility would crush you. And so I think it's God's mercy that he's delayed promotion in some of our lives. And so we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready as a church. We need to be, you need to be ready as a follower of Jesus for God to elevate you and bring you to a higher place of position and authority in the house, whatever house that is, for you to shine his light. And we do that simply and only because of our life being transformed by Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. I thank you for your mighty works and calling us into your grace and mercy. And so we receive it today. And we put our faith in you. And I pray that we know you in such a way that our lives are transformed by you. Give us wisdom and clarity and understanding to walk in the light this week. And may our lives bring glory to your name, the name of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. When we talk about shining the light, I think that many of us have this misconception that there's a certain level of membership that you reach before you are expected to be able to shine that light. 
And when we talk about membership, I, th- I think that we should be, we should come back to a biblical perspective of what that means. And when Paul talked about the members, he talked about the members of a body, which is, you know, he's talked about arms and legs and hands and feet and mouth and ears and all that kind of stuff, that those were all members, the parts of a body that are meant to be joined together in such a way that they they function at a higher level than just the separate parts. That's the synergy of a thing that's connected and it's more than the sum of its parts. And so when Pastor Jacob talks about shining the light in this message, it does have something to do with membership. But And Jeff and I have been talking about this, the idea that you're, you're, you accept Jesus as your Savior, and then you get some other point in your life where you accept Him as Lord, and there's, there's this level of connectedness or level of being involved in community. And the Lord spoke to me something to me just a moment ago about being dismembered. And normally when we think about that we think of some awful murder or something like that but dismembered means that that parts that are supposed to be together are apart and that if the church has lost its effectiveness in in being the light and shining the light it's because we've become dismembered we begin we where we're supposed to be joined together and and represent a community we've lost that because we've become disconnected and I think of I think of how much impact COVID has had on the church and it's, it's become disconnected and dismembered and and then it's lost some of its effectiveness in being the light in the world and all the different ways that manifests itself not literally light it's that it's that spiritual figurative light of when when that light is present the world knows I had my saga of backpacking a few weeks ago too and one night I was up in the like at two o'clock in the morning and and this is a, many miles from any town. And I mean, 30, 40, 50 miles from any town. And it's so different from being where, like, if I'm out in the country here, far away from any streetlights or anything like that. But the light of Oklahoma City gives enough light that you can walk in the dark and see. And what? And why is that? Because there's so many lights there. <laughs> And it, it shines up, but it also, it provides enough life, light that you can see. When we were in Colorado at 12,000 feet, and the lights of the stars give off enough light to see by. They're so far away and relatively so small, but it still has an impact. And I was reminded of the Billy Graham crusade that I went to in, in the late 60s. And it, uh, he lit a candle, and it filled up the whole stadium, old Texas stadium where the Cowboys used to play. 
it filled that whole stadium, that little tiny candlelight. That's the power that the light has to change the darkness. And when we all when we're all put together, then it it provides a light that other people can walk by far away. But we're all expected to express that light. And it doesn't happen because we try real hard. It happens when we just uncover the Jesus in us. How, how do we cover it? Embarrassment. We don't want to. We don't want to appear some way that some people will think the wrong thing. There's so many ways, but it's because we cover it out of shame or whatever it is. I'm going to pray for us and and ask God to show us ways that we're covering. And if there's anybody here that just doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know what we're talking about, please come to me after the service. We can go aside and and talk about it. So stand with me, if you will, as we go to the Lord. I pray that you'd see what your own response is to this. Not not here in this room, but your response for what, what you do once you walk out of this building and how you walk it out the rest of this week. Pray with me. Father, show us even in this moment right now and through the rest of this week as we go about our normal daily lives, show us the ways that we're hiding our light. Like Jesus said, under a bushel, under a basket, something that covers it up where people can't see the light and and then the light doesn't express its true purpose. Show us how we're doing that in our lives and then show us how we can change that. Because your Holy Spirit speaks to us from within. I pray that it would show us those things. Because when we go from here, we are going to be the only Jesus that some people know and how we express him in our everyday everyday lives with the words we say and the actions that we display that's the Jesus that some people see may we be a true representation of him for his glory it's in his name we pray amen